Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a life inspiration ambassador for MWR Life and a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor. My purpose in life is to help people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges that life throws at us. You can find out more about me at a couple of websites. Uh, the first one is Tom, the number two, and Tall, T-A-L-L dot com. And the second one is thinkandgrowrichcanada.com. Of course, anyone who's a fan of Napoleon Hill knows that Think and Grow Rich is one of the top ten best-selling nonfiction books of all time in history. Over a hundred million copies sold. And uh, today I have a very exciting guest. Very exciting guest because she speaks right about a topic that is dear to my heart. Her name is Larray Q, uh, uh, Q, or Kwai, sorry, Larray Kwai, Why, but with a Q, she says, so Larray Kwai, uh, she's a former FBI in counterintelligence and undercover, undercover agent who writes, speaks, and trains leaders on how they can build mental toughness. A mentally tough leader is someone who creates breakthroughs and has the grit to keep going even when times are tough. The most important thing to know is this. Mental toughness is not something we are born with. It is something all of us can learn. Welcome to the show today, Lorraine. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Tom. I'm excited to be here. Now, I screwed up that name royally, uh, practiced in my head. But uh, just so people, because I don't interview FBI agents, uh, former ones, every day, can you spell it out? right away so that we can get people to your website as well. But certainly. It's Larray Kwai, and it's spelled L-A, capital R-A-E, and the last name is Q-U-Y. Excellent. And it's an amazing website. I've been pouring through it. A lot of, ton of good information there. So great a spot for people to go. Again, L-A-R-A-E. Q-U-O dot com. And again, it's, welcome to the show actually, today. It's actually Q-U-Y. Q-U-Y. Uh-huh. There you go. So even I'm screwing it up when I read it. So uh, let's talk about your career. First of all, a female FBI agent. Now, my mom would love to hear that because if I ever make a mistake <laughs> and just include the male in anything I'm talking about, she'll always say, uh, or her. And so, a female FBI agent, I bet you encountered a ton of challenges from some big, wide, tall, strong uh, men on your way up to becoming an FBI agent. So, tell us about that, because that alone is a a mountain to climb and an adversity uh, to overcome, I'm sure. 
Well, um, in some ways, absolutely. Um, and you asked me when was the first time I actually needed mental toughness. Um, probably the very first day I entered the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. That was, um, you know, every day, when we first got there, everyone was asked to sort of stand up and uh, introduce themselves and tell a little bit about themselves. And so a guy stood up in front of me and said that he was one of a, you know, this crack team of, of prosecutors uh, that, that went after a tough mob family in New York. And then a guy on the, the right stood up and said he was with special forces and had been, you know, just returned from some dangerous mission and in Afghanistan, and a guy on my left said, you know, stood up and said he was a, a New Jersey trooper and had survived a lot of um, shootouts. And so then when I stood up and said that I was a fashion buyer from, at, from a fancy retail store, I mean, everybody in that room just sort of looked to get a look at the fluff ball that had accidentally gotten into the FBI academy. I, I had no experience at all in law enforcement and had none of the background that uh, many of my colleagues, you know, my future colleagues would have. So, um, but I think probably the one thing about the academy that just sticks out in my mind about just developing mental toughness was that all of our instructors, uh, it was their job to just push us, you know, past the limits of endurance to where we just wanted to say, I can't, you know, I just can't go any further. So, um, and one of the physical fitness requirements at the academy was to dive off this 25-foot diving board while holding an uh, M16 rifle and then swim to the other side of the pool with the weapon. And I found out at that time, I, I had two major problems. I was afraid of heights and I had never learned how to swim. I grew up on a cattle ranch in Wyoming, and I had never um, been in a, in, a, in a swimming pool. So, but I knew that I had to make that jump, because if I didn't, I wouldn't graduate from the academy. So, you know, I just, I stood and I watched as even experienced swimmers came up gagging and just gasping for breath. Uh, and I wanted to say, I can't, you know, I just can't make this jump. But I'll say that that word chance is probably... The only four-letter word I never heard during my 24 years in the FBI. So instinctively, I just sort of started thinking off the reasons I wouldn't drown if I did jump. Um, my coach was an expert swimmer and could save me if I started to drown. Um, the FBI wouldn't want the lawsuits that my parents would bring against the FBI if I drowned. And then... They asked me if I wanted a life vest, and yes, I really did want one, and so I, I, I put it on. And I took a deep breath, and I just jumped. And, um, you know, I did bounce back, uh, holding a weapon, because I had to have that to pass, and I, I sort of floundered to the other side of the pool. So, I mean, you know, I guess from day one, mental toughness is kind of a big deal. <laughs> I guess so. And you made it. So uh, we know the end result of all of the tests is that you made it and you were with the FBI for uh, 24 years, was it? Yes. Yes, it was. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And now, I, I, tell, I tell people uh, when I talk about 
mental toughness and resiliency, I tell people it's something you almost have to pre-choose. You have to pre-choose thoughts that you're going to say to yourself many times over before you end up going through some enormously stressful event or time in your life. Because if you try to come become resilient at the time the event happens, too late, too late. You've got to pre-choose and pre-program yourself for that mental toughness and that resilience that you're going to need. And if you haven't needed it yet, be prepared. You are going to need it at some point. Yes, you are. (laughs) So talk about that that, uh, a little bit, about preparing yourself mentally and perhaps even physically uh, to be resilient and mentally tough for when the occasions arise through your life that you are going to need it. Well, it's a very, it's a very interesting question. I, I love that question um, because you're right. On, and I, as you mentioned in your in your in the be- uh, in your introduction, mental toughness is not something that you're born with. It is something that you can learn, and a lot of it does have to do with our mindset. In other words, how we choose to think about the obstacles in front of us. And for, for example. Um, Admiral James Stockdale was held captive for eight years during the Vietnam War. And Stockdale was interviewed and he was asked, you know, like, who didn't make it out alive? And his answer was very blunt. He said, oh, that's easy. It's the the optimist. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. So keep, you know, keep up the cheer. And then Christmas would come and go and they'd still be there. And then they'd say, oh, we'll keep up, you know, keep up the spirit. We'll be out for Easter. And then Easter would come and go. And he said the optimist eventually decide of a broken heart. But there is a big difference between optimism and positive thinking. And Stockdale and his comrades are perfect examples of positive thinkers who are mentally tough. In other words, to me, this is a definition of mental toughness. It is believing that you will prevail in your circumstances rather than believing that your circumstances will change. So Stockdale knew, and his, and his comrades, they knew their circumstances weren't going to change. They were prisoners. They were prisoners of war. And so they had to really think and, and choose. Very much as you just said, Tom, they had to choose to be positive. So if they were missing a leg, they were grateful for their life. If their rice had, dinner, had, had, had lice in it or bugs in it, they were just grateful for the protein. So... You know, it's just a matter of how you think and how you frame whatever adversity or whatever obstacle is in front of you. And you choose to be positive. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it reminds me of a book, uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp, and he studied who were the people that survived concentration camps? And one thing that he found is that they had a very powerful, compelling purpose for living. And this is the number one principle of Napoleon Hill's 17 principles of success is having that clear, powerful, definite purpose for your life. Talk about that as well, because I, I believe uh, in FBI or in concentration camps if you don't have a clear, clear purpose 
for why you are doing anything and why your life is important, it's going to be hard to get through any kind of a challenge, especially the really tough ones. I totally agree. And there is no time that I talk about mental toughness or grit unless I talk about emotional intelligence. And basically, emotional intelligence and authenticity, they're very closely linked. And you, I, I am saying that you would never accuse the FBI of being a touchy-feely organization. And yet, emotional intelligence really is, is at the heart of how we do business. And, and I can get back to the purpose, because when you talk about emotional intelligence, you're talking about not only understanding what makes others but just as importantly, what makes you tick? And one of those things that you just mentioned is where, where, where do you find value and meaning in your life? And if you cannot put your purpose and, and attach your purpose to that, the first thing you'll do when you're hit with adversity is you're just going to give up. I mean, failure will be enough to make you just sort of like say, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll stumble along and I'll try to find something else. And you keep going until you finally are successful at something. And that may be fine when you're, you know, you're young and you're just starting out. But as we get older, we ask more of life. We ask more of ourselves. And if, if you can't, if you can't look at yourself, and see that what you're doing is adds value and meaning to you, then you're going to just take the easiest route out. <laughs> so when the first reason, it's not going to be enough to keep you um, moving straight ahead. Right, exactly. And it has to be your purpose. It can't be your parents' purpose or your spouse's purpose. It really better be your purpose because your challenge your adversities are going to be yours as well. So your purpose is the only thing that will get you through your adversities. And it's so important to have that purpose and to pre-choose ahead of time how you are going to think, speak, and behave when the challenges of life come. And they come in all shapes and sizes. Now let's talk well, about your... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I was going to say because you're managing your emotions with a skill. You learn it better when you practice it over time. And again, it's a choice. Managing your emotions, managing your reactions, managing exactly. your, 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 yeah, your emotions, thoughts, and behavior in ways that will set you up for success. And so we need to intentionally cultivate the emotions that will serve us best, very much in line with what you were saying, Tom. Exactly. And I am well known for always answering amazing when asked how I am doing, but how can someone who has chronic pain from head to toe 24-7 and most joints don't move, I can't always be amazing and I'm not always amazing. 80% of the time it's true, but 20% of the time it's a big fat commercial to Tom Too Tall Cunningham that I am amazing. I live in a blessed, amazing country in Canada. I'm one of the top 5% people in the world if I add up my blessings. And so I always answer amazing a lot of the times to remind myself of the fact that it is true. So yes, I pre-choose that thought and that emotion 
every day as well, and, and you have to, you have to. Now let's talk about mental toughness for women leaders. That's your most recent book. I would have taken, I could take the, the word leaders right out of there and just make it mental toughness for women, because if you're married, <laughs> if you're married to any kind of a man, there's going to be mental toughness required. <laughs> if you're a mother, if you got kids, well, there's the yeah. ultimate in mental toughness. And so let's talk about mental toughness for women leaders, but let's acknowledge that any woman that's leading any man, child, company, business, employees, or anyone is a woman leader. I totally agree with you, Tom, and actually any any person, any woman, male or, any, or, or man, who controls their life is a leader. I mean, you lead your own life, right? Right. The thing that I, I tried to do um, in, in my book, and what I did do, in mental toughness for women leaders was basic in uh, rooted in neuroscience and social psychology because while I, I mean I love hearing inspirational things and I, I find that them they can be very um, you know uplifting I I, I want to know why I mean I need to know the neuroscience behind it um, you know, we were just talking about positive thinking. Well, there is, there is, neuroscientists have determined that you need to counter every one negative thought with five positive ones. Because our brain is hardwired to pay more attention to negative information. I mean, that's that limbic brain system. It's the fight or flight syndrome that has kept you know, cavemen alive for years. I mean, they went out to, to get lunch, not be lunch. <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing, though, now. I mean, not everything that's new and different is a threat to our survival, but that's that limbic brain. And so uh, I, I, I wish I had said it. I didn't, but somebody far smarter than me had said that, um, you know, positive emotions are like Teflon. They easily float away. But negative emotions are like Velcro. They stick. Mm. And so we have to intentionally choose. And again, based in neuroscience, um, that it's basically a ratio of five to one uh, to just kind of move us beyond. So those are the kinds of tips and, and tips that I offer. It's 52 tips. Uh, it's mental toughness for women leaders, 52 tips, uh, one a week that you can just look at, and, and, and it's based in neuroscience or social science, of, of, of things that have, are backed up by more than just theories, that are backed up by more than just, oh, that's a warm and fuzzy thought. And that, like I said, those can be nice, but I, I, I'm the kind of person, I need to know how mm. I can change, how I can change my brain, and how I can rewire the way I look at obstacles and challenges. I love it, and now you're again talking right up, well, we could talk forever, because you're talking about one of my favorite topics, positive psychology. I've been studying oh, yeah. a lot about positive psychology, and it's proving a lot of things that Napoleon Hill talked about in 1938 when he wrote Think and Grow Rich. There is science behind a positive mental attitude, and uh, it is so exciting to read about the science behind uh, positivity and optimism and and uh, as you said, uh, how many positive inputs you need to negate the negative inputs. And believe me, the negative inputs come free and easy. You don't even have to well, look for them. That's exactly right. And you're probably very familiar with neuroplasticity. Because mm -hmm. that is showing us 
how we can literally rewire our brain by changing the way we think about negative situations. We can take responsibility for our brain, and when we can take responsibility, then we can take responsibility for our own emotions. Because often the key to managing them is simply to reframe them. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. One of my favorite authors on this topic is Dr. Barbara Fredrickson and her book, Positivity. Yes, yes. A powerful book. a wonderful book. book. Very powerful. And actually, she's the one originally said three, the ratio of three to one. But since then, she has, there's research that came out and she's concurred that it, that it really needs to be five to one. Oh, you know, you know three, three positive thoughts. For every one negative, but five is going to get you a lot Oh, well, you're having me breathing a sigh of relief because I knew it was three to one, and I was thinking, yes, how, yes, am, how am I going to correct this poor oh, woman? Yes, yeah, you know, no, yeah. Yes. Barbara Fredrickson is, is brilliant, and she did come out with that book, Positive Positivity. Uh, and this is a fairly recent time that she, she's kind of come away with agreeing that while three is probably adequate, Five is more than the golden bullet. Yeah, so, but thank you, because you were trying to figure out how to, like, how to break it to you. And no, 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 Barbara Fredrickson said three to one. <laughs> right, right. I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to break this in the middle of the show? But you're right, and I'm thinking in my own experience, even just without uh, putting it to a, a numerical testing, that uh, it needs to be more than three to one, because negatives pour at you like crazy, like a waterfall. And so you yeah. really need to go out and get those five positive inputs to overcome uh, all that negative negativity that that comes your way. And so let's talk about uh, we're talking about some amazing topics right up my alley. Uh, uh, it's estimated by a lot of people. Uh, I'll give a range that we experience anywhere between thirty to sixty thousand thoughts every single day. And so as we were talking about, the negative ones come at us voluntarily. You just turn on a radio yeah. or TV, uh, read a billboard, and they're automatically flooding our mind. And so to remain positive, to remain mentally tough, this is where we talked about before, you have to pre-choose thoughts because, hey, I'm one of the most positive people on the planet, but I get negative thoughts too, you know, hey, I'm yeah. married. I have a job. I live in the city with traffic. Uh, uh, I live in Toronto with the worst hockey team in the world. And so, you know, I get negative thoughts too. But the benefit to 25 years of practicing positivity is, A, I recognize the negative thought quicker, and B, I got about 25 affirmation thoughts, people, idea, books in my head that I can just refocus those thirty to 60,000 thoughts on and get back onto the positive side of the ledger. ledger. So talk about that, because that must be, especially for an FBI agent, you've got some nutcase uh, spy across from you. You've got to be able to reprogram some of that negative uh, thoughts into positive ones and quickly, I'm sure. Yes, um, you're absolutely right, Tom. Um, and I think one of the first things, is, as you were asking that question, I was I was running through uh, something I said earlier, where um, the word "can't" is the only four-letter word I never heard in the FBI, which is really true, um, because when you say the word, when you say, like for example, when you see the word "no." 
I mean, your brain just automatically starts releasing a lot of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. And, and, and these are the, the very chemicals that interrupt the normal function of the brain, you know. And we get anxious and we, we don't use good logic. But now, so that's just when you see the word no. But if you say the word no, even more stress chemicals are released into your brain. And so it's just that the word no and other negative messages like can't or quit, they interfere with the logical decision-making centers of your brain. And it causes us to make decisions that are often not in our best interest. And mental process gets right back to controlling your emotions of being able to interrupt this flow of chemicals into the brain. And, you know, the other thing, too, I was astounded by this, but I read this one piece of research that said that we say anywhere from 300 to 1,000 words to ourselves per minute. I mean, if you think about that, that's all, I mean, it's unbelievable. And so the key there, again, Tom, what you were talking about, is really to teach yourself to react positively so that you can override that emotional part of the limbic brain system that tends to be negative and, and throw out all kinds of junk in our way. So, again, it gets to that self-talk. And I'll have to say that I know in like military and special forces and FBR, HRT teams, I mean, self-talk is really important. And that is just the way that you speak to yourself. And, you know, we spend so much time talking about being positive and the message we give to others and the language we use, but the, the, the real issue is in how we talk to ourselves. And sometimes we're pretty brutal to ourselves. And, and um, I, mean, I mean, you know, we would probably cause it, we'd probably label it as, as abusive. You know, if somebody else mm-hmm. talks to us, right. say we, we talk to ourselves. And so that's, that's really an important thing. And then, you know, you said something, I can't let it go. Victor Frankel is a, I'm just, I love him. And I've read that book, Man's Search for Meaning, and I've read his life story, and I've just been awed by it. But he, and, and you're right, he was so, I mean, he just said, you know, once you find your meaning, or once you find your why, to, to quote Simon uh, Sinek, then you, you, you can really, you know, you know, really, everything else is put in second place. I mean, it all comes into perspective. But when he said, and, and he really confirmed this, he just visualized what it would look like. In fact, he gave a speech, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher it terribly, but it was something like, I, I can stand before you now, uh, even though I've never seen you before, but I have spoken these words to you thousands of times in my mind. Because I visualized, I envisioned myself surviving this concentration camp. I envisioned myself up here speaking to you about what I learned. And that, and, and again, way before, you know, like Napoleon Hill and Norman Vincent Peale and Dale Carnegie were talking about all these positive ways of seeing yourself, and then people like Frankel, who was a psychiatrist and other scientists, have come along and they realize that when you visualize, when you visualize your success, when you give your brain a detailed portrait of your end goal, your brain releases dopamine. 
And that is a very powerful mental toughness tool that just moves you towards success because it's this chemical that becomes active when we when we encounter situations that are linked to good thoughts and rewards. So, I mean, so you just, you can, you can visualize how events will unfold. You can see yourself winning a goal. You can visualize how you'll react or respond when criticized by a colleague. We did it all the time in FBI firearms training, visualizing how we would respond when somebody stepped out behind a corner of a building or you know, we have uh, different images pop up and you had to decide whether or not you were going to shoot them, shoot a bad guy or a baby, you know. But, I mean, you, had, you just visualize, okay, how am I going to respond? How am I going to move from point A to point B? And it works. It really works. It really does work. And, boy, you're making me grin from ear to ear because when I spoke at the Napoleon Hill International Convention in Malaysia, where I shared the stage with Deepak Chopra. That is how I started my speech. I said, hello, everyone. I have met you thousands oh, of times really? in the past. And I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how I've met you thousands of times in the past when I'm just here for the first time. It's because I've seen you from this stage in my head oh my God. many, many thousands time. of times. And so everybody uh, appreciated that. And for sure, uh, your subconscious, I wish there was a formula for it, but the more you feed it with the messages that you want and you declare for your life and your purpose and your goals, eventually your subconscious is just like, man, this person really means this. Let's go out and find the people and circumstances to make it happen because this is not just some idle, passing fancy of this person. They keep repeating it 99,000 times and doing it in their head. So let's, while they're sleeping or busy working, let's go out and create the circumstance. Let's go out and find the person that's going to meet them at the elevator or the parking lot later on. And that is the value of the visualizing and saying some positive affirmation and goals inside your head when you're talking to yourself, right? Well, you know, Tom, I have something to share with you. There is a recent Harvard study that demonstrates that our brains cannot tell the difference between a visualized image of our success and reality. I mean, when you think about how powerful that is, because the brain doesn't know. You visualize yourself succeeding at something. But you know there are parameters, and I learned this too, uh, that, that, that if, if you can't engage in fantasy. When you start visualizing success for yourself, your brain knows when you're going overboard. Your brain knows that you'll never be a rock star. So, it, it, so if you start visualizing fantasies, or, or really engage in wishful thinking, your brain will actually look at those fantasies as a threat because it's protecting you. So it, it, if you can look at, at your future and you look at it in a measured way and, and, and visualize a way that you can move forward realistically using your talents, your brain starts to believe that and, and soon it doesn't know, it can't tell the difference. Right, exactly. So pre-choose that visualization and those specific words. Like, I have five or six phrases that, you know, in my thoughts tend towards the negative. Redirect them, 
picture that I can't picture it while I'm driving, not very well anyway, but I certainly <laughs> can do the affirmations. And basically, you're telling the truth in advance, as Zig Ziglar would say. You know, when you're saying, yeah. I, earn I earn this amount of money, I share the stage with this person, I do this, I own this, I am great at this. You are a lot of times telling the truth in advance, but you're commanding your subconscious mind to make it true. And that subconscious mind works all the time. And it can go out from beyond your body and find the circumstances and people that you need to accomplish your purpose or goal. So keep those thoughts strong and positive and powerful and purposeful and choose them ahead of time because you are going to need them because A, you're going to be talking to yourself a lot and B, you're going to encounter a number of obstacles in life, some big, some small, but we're all going to have about a dozen uh, major things that are going to, could knock us off the beam if we're not prepared. Let me ask you a funny question, or maybe a funny question. I know my wife has worked for many years as a, as a law clerk or a criminal clerk for a def criminal defense lawyer. And so when I bring my wife out to a party, my goodness, she is entertaining. You know, I'll just line her up and tell her, all right, sweetie, tell them the time of the guy who did the stupid thing with the crazy thing here. And next thing you know, everybody's just like gathered around. Uh, is, that, uh, is that how your friends are with you? Or do you have to like edit so many stories? Like, oh, there's a great story about, uh, but oh, can't tell you that one. Or, oh, there's one about, oh, that one's top secret, can't tell you that one. Uh, the people try and pry all these cool, amazing, interesting fascinating stories out of you when they uh, take you out for a drink or meet you at a party? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I will say, um, obviously there are a lot of specifics that I can't talk about, but people are people. And so, and, and uh, I, I love observing people and watching them, and I think all law enforcement does. And so I can get away with quite a few funny stories. I mean, I don't know if they're funny in my case, but they're, they're interesting. It's the stories of survival. Um, I can tell you about my first arrest, if you want. Ooh, that would always be cool, yeah. What, I mean, as a woman, I can tell you how I needed a little mental toughness there, I guess. That would make yeah. a good place. When I, anyway, my first office was Phoenix. And so um, my, my squad was preparing to arrest this extortionist, and he was described as armed and dangerous. And so we had put, the FBI put him under surveillance, and he was actually spotted on the move on Scottsdale Road. And so the case agent was my uh, my training agent as well. And I'd never made an arrest, never even been on arrest. So he said, why don't you come along and see how it's done? And I said, okay, let's go. And so I was in his passenger seat, and you know, and I love our SWAT team, our FBI SWAT team, but I call them the Hulsey Volkies because they're the guys that work out. I mean, they're so buff. I mean, they have a hard time getting their little light, their little bulletproof vest to snap because there's so much muscle there and, and all that stuff. But anyway, so when we have a dangerous arrest, and this guy was armed and dangerous, we always have them go in, right? But I was along because I was the training agent. So we're on Scottsdale Road. And if you know Scottsdale Road in, in, in Scottsdale, it's a very busy road. And one by one, our SWAT team cars got caught behind traffic. And so Gould Ron was my case agent, and he was, you know, hold that keep up. We came to a red light. And we parked and pulled up right beside 
the guy we were supposed to arrest. And Ron just looked at me and said, you're it. We're going to run a big chance of losing this guy if we go any further. And so, you know, I couldn't even see the SWAT team behind us. So I just looked at this guy and he was sitting in, you know, right, just looking straight ahead, built like a tank, right? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a tall, thin woman, so I'm thinking, this, I'm never going to be able to wrestle him to the ground. The hokey bulkies, you know, they they pull off the door and, and push him to the ground. But I said, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I took off my FBI raid jacket because we always wear those in case, you know, people want to know who's carrying a gun, right, on Scottsdale Road. So I took that off and I pulled my sweater over my gun and I got out of the car and he's just looking straight ahead, right? And so I just sort of tapped him, tapped his window and he looked over and I kind of smiled. And then he looked at me and kind of smiled back and then kind of started rolling down his window. And as soon as he got his window rolled down, I pulled out my gun and said, FBI, you're under arrest. And he was so shocked that his foot slipped off the clutch and his car just bolted into the intersection. And I heard it crash somewhere behind. But I never, I never let um, my, you know, him out of my sight. And I said, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. And by this time, the hokey bulkies were out, you know, running with their guns in the air, trying to run, get up to the car to make the actual arrest. Well, they got there, they pulled him out of the car, they looked under the seat, and sure enough, there was a loaded gun under his front seat. So I'm just like going, oh my God, thank God, he kept his, his hands up. And so, you know, the thing that I talk about there, the lesson I learned is that women can be strong and they can prevail by just being who they are. I didn't need to be some tough, macho version of Lorraine trying to imitate my fellow Asians. So I could do the job. I could do it just as well as anybody else. I might not do it the same way they were doing it, but I got the job done. I love it. And that kind of reminds me of, as a handicapped person, like there's many things I can't do. And picking things up off the ground is one of them. So... One of the things I do is I'll uh, get whatever it is, uh, I'll get sit in a chair or the nearest chair, put whatever it is between my feet and just throw it up in the air and catch it. And so uh, ho- ah, hopefully it's not a cell phone, but like you did. Uh, uh, without you learn to prevail. You, you learn to prevail. You don't That's say the words I can't. Right. You never say I can't do that. or oh, I it's exactly right. I interviewed a wonderful woman. Her name is Karen Korb. She was a gymnast. When she was 17, she fell and she broke her back. And she's been paralyzed in a wheelchair ever since. She's an amazing athlete. She does all sorts of wheelchair sports. I mean, she is amazing. And she said, we were talking about her disability. And she said, you know, the way I look at it, it's like this. My disability is obvious. What is yours? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We all have our disabilities. It's right. just hers is a little bit more obvious than maybe somebody else's. And yeah. this is another thing I talk about in my talks is that I am blessed in that I have a visible disability. There are so many people walking around with horrible challenges and, and difficulties yeah. that we just cannot even see or imagine. At least with me, people know. Something's wrong with that guy. 
But there's lots of people with the totally invisible ones that we do not There see. you go. And I feel yep. bad for them exactly because right. no one is no one really has the compassion or empathy for them that they should have in some cases because they just can't see it. And now let me come to uh, something, the uh, last question here, and one I thought about uh, tucked into the very last sentence of your longer bio for my website is, <laughs> she, has, she has also completed graduate studies at San Francisco Theological Seminary. And I'm thinking... Wow, that is a different move, career move, or educational move, or field. And so tell me about the purpose, the meaning, uh, why you uh, uh, have completed your graduate studies at San Francisco Theological Seminary. That's an amazing thing. Congratulations, and God bless you with that. That will serve you well. But when I read it, I was thinking, why? <laughs> a lot of people ask me that same question, and my response to them is, moving from the FBI to a seminary is the most logical move in the world, because it's always about uncovering layers to get to the truth, to, to uncover the, what's really going on. That's what I did in investigations. I mean, very rarely what you saw on the surface was the truth story. And I find that with all of us, just as we were talking, rarely what we see on the outside is the truth story. Mm-hmm. So I find it a wonderful challenge, a little bit what we were just talking about uh, on that journey to the center, because there are so many people who, you know, they kind of, they, I, I don't say they waste their life, but they just sort of float through life, and then they get to be about 85 years old, and they ask themselves, what was that all about? What was it all for? And people are either gentle and sweet at 84 and have, are very reconciled with their life, or they're, they're pissed off and angry. Uh, usually it's one of the two when you get to older people. And it's, I think the difference a lot of times is that those who have taken time to really harvest um, the real lessons in life, uh, and I, I go back, I go all the way back to 10 years old. When I give talks, I talk about when I was 10 years old and what happened to me when I was standing in, full of a, in front of a, a, char, a bull, a charging bull with horns, and he was charging towards me and my horse. I mean, you know, I... I go back that far, but my life is a series of understanding and pulling back the layers to really, you know, the, the buck stops somewhere. I, I don't I have a very low tolerance for BS, and uh, I certainly don't allow it in myself. Mm. Mm. You are, again, you're uh, talking right up my alley. I changed Napoleon Hill's principle from definite purpose, which is so important for everyone to have, but what I have now and what I believe people should search for desperately their entire life till they discover it is their God-given definite purpose. I have a document that I believe that if Jesus were sitting on the other side of my desk, which would be a really amazing meeting to be at, I believe... (laughs) You would hand me the exact same document I have written down if I asked him, 
Lord, why all these challenges? Why am I here specifically? What is it that I am uniquely gifted to do? And so if you know that God-given purpose, why you were created, what you were put here to do, that really clarifies a lot in your life. And I'm thinking uh, going to the theological seminary really helps you clarify uh, a lot of those things for yourself as well. Yes, it did. It certainly did. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. And I also did the Ignatian retreat, which is a 30-week or 30-day. You can do it in 30 days or you can do it one day a week, 30 weeks. Uh, uh, principles that were set by uh, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was the founder of the Jesuits. Another wonderful spiritual experience. Wow, I would like to learn more about that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I really would, I would heartily recommend that to you, Tom. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's what it's about, it's looking for God's pattern in your life. You know, mm. uh, going back. When you are, you know, when you do, I mean, it's, you know, God does deal with each of us differently, and it's finding that pattern and just plucking that out from childhood to disappointment, from when we didn't get the, the bread ball in the playground. You know what I mean? We all have mm-hmm. to face dealing with disappointment, so and mm-hmm. you know, life life events. So exactly, I love it. Now you read your website to people, because even when I read it, I screwed it up. So let's give them one more chance with their pen in hand. To write down your website, uh, say the titles of your books, which are both available on Amazon, because I was checking yes. today as well. So go through all those yes. details where people can reach you. Oh, well, thank you so much. So my website is uh, com. So it's L-A-R-A-E-Q-U-Y.com. And there's, I'm the only one out there. And if you look on Twitter, I'd love to have you on Twitter. On LinkedIn, again, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Lorraine Kwai. And I have two books. It's, um, the first one is Secrets of a Strong Mind, which talks a lot more about growing up on a cattle ranch and, you know, taking the hard knocks early. I was not coddled. I was not, you know, hampered. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons the FBI liked me so well when I, when I applied. But it's a lot about my background and getting through the academy. A lot of my story there. Uh, it's a secret of a strong mind. And the second book is Mental Toughness for Women Leaders. Again, it's 52 tips on how you can be mentally tough. And it's, it really is for anybody. I said it's for women leaders, but really um, it's for men and women. It's for people who find themselves in challenging situations. That is everybody, that's for sure. There, and if, and if, you, if you haven't, be prepared. They are coming. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Lorraine. I appreciate it so much. You and I uh, focus our lives, our thinking, and our service to others on uh, very, very similar topics of positivity, emotional right. intelligence, and uh, mental toughness. And in this world, if you don't have it, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how great a family you came from, or any other benefit you have, if you don't have emotional intelligence and resiliency and mental toughness, your skills, talents, and abilities will not be fully utilized. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and have yourself an amazing day. Thank you so much, Tom.
Take care.